Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for the price that you paid for us. Father, that you were not willing to live without us, that you, you desired, even above everything, to have us with you forever, and that you knew that we could not uh, pay the, the price that we had to pay. We could not make up for the wrong that we've done, and that punishment had to be, to be given for the sins that we've committed. But Father, you are willing to take that punishment for us. That you came to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son. You came, you lived a perfect life that we could not live. And you died in our place to accept the, the wrath. The Son accepted the wrath of the Father that we deserve to, to receive so that we could be forgiven. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for the price that you paid for us so that we could have a relationship with you forever. Father, we love you. We ask that you guide this service as we remember what you've done. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Passover was a time of remembrance. Every year, the Israelites celebrated a festival called Passover where they remembered what God had done for them when they were slaves in Egypt. That they had pulled, God pulled them out of Egypt. And the last and final of the ten plagues was the Passover, where the angel of death came over every single house. But if you had sacrificed a lamb like God had provided, and took that blood and, and smeared it over the doorposts of your home, that the angel of death would pass over your home and not enter in. And that is what the Israelites remembered year after year after year. Passover was in remembrance of that sacrifice of that lamb that God provided to spare them from death. But Jesus said, when he had his final Passover with his disciples, and they shared that meal together, Jesus said, for now on, I don't want you to do this in remembrance of the exodus. I don't want you to do this in remembrance of, what, of, of, of the God pulling you out of Egypt. I want you to do this from now on in remembrance of me, Jesus said. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26 For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> so this service that we're participating in today is in remembrance of Jesus' death for us. Jesus knew what that, that would symbolize at that last Passover before he went to the cross, before the new covenant was established. He knew exactly what it meant and what he was laying his life down for and what would be the result thereof. 
And so he gave that to his disciples. And he said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to continue to do this in remembrance of me. Because as often as you do it, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. This is what Paul was instructing the New Testament church. You are proclaiming what Christ did for us until he comes back. I don't, um, I don't think we'll be having this communion or Lord's Supper um, when we get to heaven or, or when there's a new earth. Um, I think the banquet is going to be much larger and it's going to be a lot more joyful. Um, there's going to be a lot more laughing going on. But uh, this, is, this, is, this is something that's, that Jesus gave us himself to do until he comes back. And for 2,000 years, the body of Christ and Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years until he comes back. Um, I, I don't want you to think that uh, Jesus is in some way postponing his coming back. He's not just enjoying heaven so much that he forgot about us. Um, he's not just uh, kind of like me right now. He's not just uh, forgetful. <laughs> he, um, but this is what this is what Second Peter says. Second Peter three eight through thirteen says this. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, like one day. Have you? Uh, you ever heard that phrase before? The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There's the heart. Jesus is not delaying His coming back. He's being patient. Why? Because He wants all to come to repentance. So the next time that you which I, I get it. We do want Jesus to come back. John, the Apostle John, at the end of Revelation, he said, come, Lord Jesus. We are, we are looking forward to you coming back. I, I, I get that. But next time you become impatient about Jesus coming back and say, you know, I really wish he'd hurry up and put an end to all this sin in the world, just keep in mind, he could have done that 100 years ago. He could have done that 200 years ago. And you would have never come into existence. You would not be here. You would not spend eternity with God forever. Because you never came into existence. We don't, the Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. You didn't live in heaven with God, having fun, and then get reincarnated on the earth as a person now to just go back to heaven. You don't do it over and over again. You didn't exist except in the mind of God. You did not exist until God brought you into existence, however long that was. And I'm not pointing any fingers around here. Uh, that's one thing you don't do. You don't talk about people's age. But you didn't exist before that. Now God knew you in his mind. He knew you just like he knows you now. To him you existed. But we don't teach reincarnation. We don't teach you were alive, living having fun, enjoying heaven, and then we're reincarnated here. So next time you become impatient about how the world has become just awful, which it has, it always has been, I think, and that you're just really hoping God would just hurry up, I, I, I want you to think about those who are still being born. 
I want you to think about those who God still has in His mind that He knows will come to faith, that He knows will get a chance to spend eternity with Him forever. He's being patient, not wanting any to perish. That's God's heart. It's a heart full of love. But the day of the Lord will come, and it will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. God made a covenant with, us, with Noah and the rest of humanity after the flood by putting a rainbow in the sky. Y'all remember that story? God flooded the whole world, judged the whole world, brought the whole world to, to an end, judged everybody except for Noah and his family. And then he put a rainbow in the cloud as a covenant sign to say, I will never destroy the earth again by flood. Now that bow, which we learned in the Gospel Project this past year, that bow is actually like a warrior's bow pointed towards heaven. You probably never thought about it that way. The rainbow is called a bow. When they said bow, they thought a bow that you shot. It is a warrior's bow, and it's pointed at God. It's a kind of a reminder of how evil the world had become and that everyone had, was raging against God. Um, God said that he would never destroy the world again by flood, but he did tell us next time it will be by fire. He will destroy the earth by fire, but it's not just the earth. The way I understand this verse, the heavens, we know that the heavens are the place where the birds fly. That's what we call the sky. The uh, place where the stars are, that's what we call outer space. That was also called the heavens in the Bible. And we also, the place where God dwells, which would be the third heaven. It's a spiritual place. Um, but when I see heavens, what I see is the fact that the earth and the entire universe itself will dissolve with the elements. That the whole, all of creation will be burned up and he will start anew and make a new heaven, new heavens, new earth. And so that just, that brings a smile to my face because I don't know about y'all. Um, I love astronomy pictures. I love what NASA, what the Hubble telescope gives us. I mean, I just love these pictures. These pictures of the eye of God and these nebula and all these different things. They're, they're beautiful. And I just think about, well, God's going to do away with all that. Gemini, all them, all them constellations, he's going to do away with all of it and he's going to start over. And he can do whatever he wants. And what no... I has seen, and what no ear has heard or mind has conceived of is what he's got planned for us. You know, you have to have special type cameras to see some of these galaxies and their beauty from earth. And it might be that way when God recreates the heavens and the earth, or he may just give us like a never-ending sky light show um, on the new earth and the new stars and new heaven and new, new constellations. I mean, it's just going to be so beautiful. Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. I, I know I've gotten way off topic on that, but I just, I just think it's a good thing when you think about what God has planned for us, the new heavens, the new earth, what God has in store for us. I think it's a good thing just to, just to sit back and be amazed at your imagination of what you can come up with and how beautiful stuff you can think of, because I promise you, the most beautiful things you can think of in your mind, God's got something far superior planned for us. And that's very, very exciting. As well as that big banquet table we're all going to sit at. All right. 
He said, since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. As you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming, because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so there's our, our, um, our, rec- our command. You know, you, the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. It's a good thing. It's healthy to have a fear of the Lord. When you think about a God that is so large and so powerful that He's just going to dissolve the entire universe the moment He gets ready, the moment He decides, alright, that's it. I'm going to dissolve it all. That powerful God who will also be our judge when we stand before him at the end of our life it's healthy to have a good healthy fear of the Lord just as you would have a good healthy fear of your dad Um, I I can't speak for everybody's situation I'm not going to speak for myself my dad's here but uh, (laughs) I can't speak for everybody because I don't know what kind of dad you had I don't know if you had a dad that, that you were not afraid of at all you ran over him or if you had a dad that was not a good dad, or a dad that was just completely absent. I, I, I can't speak for everyone here. But when I talk about God, the ideal father, I just want to kind of relate that idea of you loved your dad, you were happy to see your dad when he got home, you were excited to see your dad, you had love for your dad, but if you did something wrong, you had a good healthy fear of your dad. And that's the way it's supposed to be. See, you're supposed to love God, be happy, be excited, but you should be afraid to, to do wrong. You should be afraid to sin against a holy, righteous God. You should have a healthy fear to not sin against a powerful, all-powerful all God. That's a healthy fear the Bible talks about, the fear of the Lord. It says wisdom is, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It means to make wise choices. If you want to make wise choices and live a wise life, the beginning of that is having a healthy fear of God to make those wise choices. But this powerful God loves you far more than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. <clears throat> Jesus' closest friends, however, betrayed and deserted him. They turned their back on him. And he went through unimaginable anguish and if you'll notice in your bulletin i hope you hope you grabbed one or you or hope you will grab one on the way out you'll notice the next section is matthew chapters 26 through 28 we'll be we won't be reading those chapters but i'm just going to give you an overview of those chapters that is the passion narrative in matthew talks about jesus being betrayed by his disciples by all of them, honestly. I mean, we, t- we point our finger at Judas because he's the one that actually turned him over and for 30 pieces of silver. But all of them deserted him. All of them turned their back on him. All of them ran away. Peter was the most adamant, I will die before I turn my back on you. I will go to the cross with you before I ever deny knowing you. And that very night he denied him three times and ran off. They all deserted Jesus. And so you think about those hard times that you experience in life. 
Maybe you've gone through them. If, if you're young enough not to have gone through them, you will. I assure you. But think about those hard times in life, the, the, the darkest, hardest times. Think if the people that you counted on the most, that were the closest to you, what if they all turned their back and ran in that moment when you needed them most? That's, that's what Jesus went through. But all of that, the betrayal of his friends, the crucifixion of having the nails, the being flogged, having the nails driven through his hands and feet, the being um, hung up in the sun and having to suffocating on the cross, having to lift yourself up and push yourself up just to breathe, the agonizing death of crucifixion, none of that compared to the anguish Jesus felt in the garden the night before his, his, his trial and crucifixion when he talked about the cup that was coming his way. And I didn't understand it when I was younger, but I'm, I'm convinced now that cup that he's talking about is that same cup we hear these prophets talking about in the Old Testament. The cup of wrath that God will pour out. Prophet after prophet after prophet of Old Testament taught, warned of people, warned them. God is going to pour out his wrath. He's, you're going to drink his cup. He's going to pour this cup of wrath out on the nation. And he, and he did. He, you know, they abandoned him. They worshipped other gods. He warned them over and over and over. Hundreds of years, hundreds of years he warned them. But I believe that that's exactly what Jesus was referring to when he said, if possible, let this cup pass from me. That he was about to drink the cup of wrath of his Father poured out on him that we deserved. That was the whole point of Jesus coming to the cross. Why did he come? Why did he die? The whole point was that he had to accept the wrath of God on him that was supposed to be poured out on you and on me. That's what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. And so what happened was God, because he's just, and we talked about this several, several um, weeks back, because God is just, he can't just pretend like sin doesn't happen. He can't just sweep it under the rug. Matter of fact, that's, that's one thing a lot of people on this earth are counting on, the fact that sins never... That, that people get away with all this injustice in this world and they never seem to face any consequences, a lot of people are trusting that God will make sure that all things are set right. That people who go around and serial killers and murder all these women and, 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 and never get caught. That you think a sense of justice that God will make sure that, th that this doesn't just go swept under the rug and, and, never, and that person never faces consequences. But I use the example of if somebody came in here and, and killed the children or, or did something horrible in this church, none of us, nobody here, would be able to just go on with the service, let them walk on out and let's say, oh, wait a minute, where y'all going? It's not 1230 yet. You can't go nowhere. No, that, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's crazy to think. We don't have it in us to ignore and sweep away just horrible sin and just pretend like it never happened we can't do it because we're made in the image of god who is just and we have a sense of innate justice and so that's that's the thing about god is that god can't just sweep things under the rug and pretend like it never happened punishment must be served out for crime punishment must be served out for sin the difference between us and god is that we think 
that lying, stealing, cheating, these things, we don't think that they're, they're as bad as murder. We don't think being angry with someone is as bad as killing them. But Jesus told us that God is so holy that everything, everything, every sin is a big deal to Him. Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder in God's eyes. God is so holy that even what we call little sins are big sins to Him. And He can't just sweep them under the rug and pretend like they never happened. But that's where Jesus came in, and that's what this is. Jesus came to earth to take our punishment, to take the wrath that was supposed to be poured on us. He accepted it on Himself from God. And so that way, God didn't have to compromise His holiness. He didn't have to compromise His justice because punishment was still served. But He decided as God, He decided He was willing to take that punishment in our place. Therefore allowing us to be forgiven. Allowing us to not have to face that wrath. Allowing us to not have to be condemned for our sins. That's how loving He is on top of how holy and just He is. And I said once, and I'll finish with this, you don't want a God that is not perfectly holy and just. You don't want a God who's going to compromise on right and wrong. You don't want a God who's going to say, you know what? Sin's not that bad after all. I think I'm okay with it. You don't want a God that's going to start sinning himself. What do you end up with? You end up with all this Greek mythology gods. These gods that are fickle and don't care about people and are battling each other. You don't want that kind of God. You want a perfectly holy, just God who says, when I tell the truth, it's the truth. I'll never lie. I'll never go back on my word. When I make you a promise, you can count on it. I'm never going back on my promises. You want a God that's going to say that, you know, I love you so much that anybody who violates you angers me. One man... I can't I can't give you the details, but there was one man I think he ended up I think he ended up I think he maybe he was a missionary pastor um over he went to uh Uganda. That were the Hutus and the Tutsis. You remember you remember all that? The the brutal genocides going on, trying to kill each other, waging war. And um he said before he went over there, he really struggled with this idea of God's wrath. He didn't like it. He, he, he wasn't okay with it. He didn't, he didn't like the idea of a God being angry with us. I mean, that's not true love. If you're angry with me and you, and you want to punish me, then you don't really love me. That's what his thought was. And then he went over there and he saw these little, little kids. I'm talking about babies, infants, toddlers, children. Their arms lopped off with machetes. Walking around with no arms or one arm or missing a leg. Where when they came into these villages, they were chopping each other up. They didn't care. They just hated each other. and was killing each other. 
And he held some of these kids who were recovering and was trying to recover. You know, some of them were, you know, were going to make it, but they were going to live a very difficult life. And he said he, he finally got it. He finally understood. He said, I can't imagine anymore a God who could watch what happened to these kids by these men and not be angry with those men. That's real love. When you really love someone and someone comes in and violates them, it makes you angry because you love them. That's why you become angry. If you didn't care, if you didn't love them, you wouldn't become angry. That's the whole point. That's what we call righteous anger. And God takes all of that seriously. And all sin is ultimately against Him and the reason His Son had to die. And so all sin deserves God's anger because all sin is why Jesus had to go through what He had to go through. All sin is why Jesus had to be crucified, why He had to be beat, why His own Son had to be flogged, why His own Son had to have nails driven into His hands and His feet and suffocate on a cross. All sin. And so all of it deserves God's anger. Otherwise, He wouldn't love His Son. Otherwise, He wouldn't really love Jesus. And so we have to be thankful that He is so loving and that He doesn't just love His Son and that He loves us. And He's made a way for us. Even though we were His enemies, Romans 5.8 says that, but yet while we were still sinners, God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still God's enemy, He died for us. He loves us that much. That even when we made Him angry, even when we anger Him for our sin, He still loves us so much that He wants to forgive us. He wants to be right with us. He wants us to be right with Him. He wants a relationship with you and with me. So we can't, we can't pretend that God's anger doesn't exist, but we can't say that it's not overcome by His love. But He gives us a choice. He gives every one of us a choice. You have free will. I have free will to decide. Will I turn from sin or not? Will I repent or not? Will I choose love, to love God or to love sin in myself? You have a choice. Acts 2, 37-42 says this, when they heard this, now Peter had just preached at Pentecost. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Each of you, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. When you are convicted by your sin against God, when you think about what He did for us and it convicts you, and you think, you know what? I'm not right with God. I want to be right with God. He, I do love this man who loved me so much to die for me. When they were convicted of that and they asked Peter, what should we do? And Peter just said, 
Repent. In other words, turn from sin. Turn from the reason this had to happen. Turn from the reason that that Jesus had to come to earth and die for you. Turn from the enemy of God. Turn from being an enemy of God. And tell everybody, be baptized, profess it, don't be ashamed. And so that's what Peter told him to do. If you have never made that decision to personally turn from sin, to be baptized, to let everybody know it, to love God with all your heart, in other words, just commit your life to God. Give your life to God. He's not something you put in your back pocket and cash in on later. He is the love of your life. He is the one that you want to devote your life to. Because He gave His life for you. If you've never made that decision, I beg you to make that decision today. To just decide today. I love God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be His child. I want to spend eternity with Him. I don't want to sin against Him anymore. This, look at what it caused. Look at what sin has got me into. Look what sin has done to God. I don't want to do it anymore. I need your help. I know I can't. I know I can't live a perfect life. I just need your help, God. If you've never made that decision, I beg you to make that decision today. Make that commitment and let us know. We are the body of Christ. We love you. And we want nothing more for you than that. And we would love to celebrate that decision with you. We would love to. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we love you, and we can never thank you enough for what you've done for us. Father, I pray that if there's a single person who wants to make that decision to give their life to Christ, to give their life over to you, to say, I'm going to turn from being your enemy and sinning against you, I'm just going to turn to being your child and loving you. I want to be forgiven. I want to be right with you. Father, I pray that they would ask that right now in Jesus' name. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I love you. I want to be your son or your daughter. In Jesus' name. Father, if there's a single person in here that maybe they've already made that decision, but they, they kind of turned their back on you. And they said, you know what? Enough's enough. I want to follow you as if it was the first day I ever came to you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. I want to love you and be loved by you. I want to know that I please you and that I'm doing what you've called me to do. And Father, I pray that they would make that decision right now. To recommit their lives completely to you. Father, we know you love us and you're begging for us to turn to you. Your arms are out. And Father, for the rest of us who, who have decided, I, I, know, I, I know I love you, I, I know I'm a sinner, I know I've asked you to forgive me, and so I know, I, I know I'm forgiven, and I know I'm saved. Father, help me to walk the walk you want me to walk. Help me to do the things you have planned for me to do for the rest of my life. And we look forward to your coming back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If the deacons will go ahead and start coming down. I want to say that we, op- we participate in what's called open communion. If you have given your life to Christ in any denomination, 
any, any time in your life, any church, any state, anywhere, you have decided to give your life to Christ, or if during our prayer just now, you decided, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to be forgiven. I want to follow Him. Even if you did that just a couple minutes ago, we would, we would ask you to participate with this with us in recognizing the body of Christ, what He's done for us, what He's done for you and me. If you have not, if you're not sure if you're saved, if you don't know if you've ever given your life to Christ, if, if you've never made that commitment, then I would just ask that when the plate and the cup comes by, just pass it on to the next person. Because Jesus gave us warnings, we're not going to go into it, or Paul gave us warnings, we're not going to go into it right now. Talking about how it's very serious to God. This right here is very serious to God. And he said not to participate in this in an unworthy manner. And, and there's, there's no way in, in Scripture to really reconcile the idea of rejecting Christ and saying, I don't want to follow you, I don't want to give my life to you yet, I don't know, I just, I'm going to push it off, I'm going to put it off, I'm waiting. There's no way you can do that and then participate in what He's done for you, His sacrifice and His shedding of His blood for your forgiveness in a worthy manner. And so that's all that we ask. If you have questions, if you're not sure, if you still want to know more, if you want to give your life to Christ, I'm, 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 that's what I'm here for. That's what these people are here for. You, you talk to me, you talk to somebody else that you know is saved. We want nothing more for you than to know that you've given your life to Christ and you will spend eternity with Him forever. So you do not be afraid to come and talk to me about it, okay? I mentioned earlier Jesus had His last supper with His disciples. During that supper, the Scripture says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples. Then He took a cup, and after giving thanks, He gave it to them. Then He took a cup, after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be looking forward to, the day when we will all sit around and eat and drink with Jesus himself and all those people that we've cared about who have loved the Lord, who have gone on before us. It is an amazing, amazing thing to think about, um, especially when you start feeling, feeling blue and feeling sad, what God has in store for us. Afterwards, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Would you please stand and join us for our last song? Amen. His love did run red for us. And he kept those holes in his hands and his feet and in his side.
when he came back. I mean, that's just something. He told Dalton Thomas to go ahead, stick your fingers in my hands and stick your hand in my side. I just don't think I could have done that. I don't think Thomas did, according to the account. I think he just fell on his face and said, I'm sorry. My Lord and my God, he said. My Lord and my God. God loves you. Far more than I do. I love you a lot. I thank you all for being a part of this family. I thank you all for coming here and worshiping together. Laughing together. And I don't know if we're going to have a Yatesville Baptist Church section in heaven when we're all sitting at our tables and eating, but I wouldn't mind it. I love y'all. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. You are amazing. Father, we do remember the price that you paid. And so we don't just take it for granted or trample over the price that you paid. We take it serious. We take sin serious. What it costs you. And so, Father, we turn from it. We want to live as wise men and women. We want to live godly lives, eagerly expecting your return, but being patient as you are, knowing that the more that we suffer and the more that we go through this world in suffering, the more people will come to know you, to spend eternity with you. And so, Father, it's worth our suffering. It's worth it. One more life, one more person to spend eternity with you is worth it. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.